You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. The time has come for America to hear the truth. We are going to stand with them, and not only are we going to fight for their rights, but we're going to stand up for our rights here in our state, in our homes, and in our community. labor's rights in the United States of America is not going to be decided in the courts. It's not going to be decided in Congress. It's not going to be decided on talk radio, and it sure is not going to be decided on Fox News. For the union makes us Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller. We are broadcasting live online and on the radio on WVNN in the Huntsville, Decatur, Athens listening area from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studios in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, we are taking calls. We are doing our first giveaway as every radio show must do. We are talking online Zoomers coming to the aid of Kellogg's Strikers. Updates from UFCW Local 1995. You'll remember that name if you listened to the show last week. A Starbucks union giving y'all a Southern Labor update, courtesy of Jonah Furman, and more on today's program. Uh, And if you haven't gotten enough of us by the time we wrap here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we are up to throughout the week, then you can find us online. We're all over the place. We're on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, anywhere you find your podcasts, we are all over the place. So um, before we jump into it, and and I'm really excited about our giveaway, um, before we jump into that, though, I do want to ask for the folks listening... um, I want to. I want. I would like to ask for your support. We have uh, just this morning launched a flash fundraising campaign with a unit uh, with a union payment processing site, Unionly.io. Uh, if you believe that our program is valuable and you have the means, then I would encourage you to donate to that. Uh, the link is Unionly.io slash o slash tvlr. We're also going to put that link in the description of the YouTube video. Uh, we're going to post some links on Twitter and Facebook in the next couple of days. Um, we're going to try to make sure that you have all of the ways that you can uh, uh, donate to us as possible. We want to make that as easy as possible. Um, and uh, the reason that we're doing that is that being on commercial radio, you know, it costs money. Our operating costs are significantly larger than any other podcast, uh, you know, and we think that it's worth worth uh, the extra cost. Not necessarily because we're better than any other podcast. In fact, we certainly aren't. There are several podcasts that I could think of off the top of my head that I enjoy personally more than our own show. Uh, but I think the extra cost is worth it because of the extra reach. When you only release your content as a podcast or as a digital media outlet, you're inherently self-selecting right by and large the people that you find on spotify or youtube or from a google search result are going to be folks that already agree with you and that has its place right so let's think for example strike wave they do excellent 
excellent work. And frankly, I think better quality work than we do. They're a bit more professional. (laughs) But their analysis is geared towards people that are already union members uh, or people that are organizing a union currently and want to make their union more democratic, open, responsive, militant, or want to make their union organizing campaign more successful. Okay, What we want to do is something a bit more remedial perhaps, but hopefully no less important. We want to increase the public awareness of unions. We want to show people out there that there are more options than taking their boss's crap, that people can have a better life and that they don't have to wait for the next election, which in all likelihood is not going to make their life better anyways, okay? And they don't have to rely on the good graces of the boss. We want to show people that they have the power within themselves with their sisters and brothers on the job to make their life better without anybody else's permission. And we want to push that message out to people who haven't heard it before. We want to reach people who have only ever been told that you have to bow down before the almighty market, that the boss knows best, that the way society and their job is constructed is the natural order of things, as opposed to decisions made by people, and largely by people at the top, decisions that can be undone and remade by normal working people. We feel that one of the best ways to do that, to preach that message to that audience, is on the radio. So that's why we're here, that's why our costs are so much higher, despite the fact that so far neither... Adam nor myself have made any money from this, uh, and we don't want to. You know, that's not why we do it. Uh, which is not to say that it would be bad if we did make money from it. You know, we put a lot of labor into this project, but it's just to say that that's the way that th- that things stand right now. Uh, and at least for you know the the short to midterm future, we don't anticipate beginning to make any money from this project. So, anyways, you know, if you think the message that we put out there is good, you think that it needs to reach the audience that we are talking to in Huntsville, Muscle Shoals, Birmingham, and hopefully across the state here with in the next few months, Um, and especially if you're a union member who has seen these benefits yourself, consider donating to the fundraiser. Again, that URL is unionly.io slash o slash tvlr. We we made the uh, URL a bit shorter uh, than the folks made it initially so that it would be easier to remember. We're going to put that URL in the show description we're going to tweet that out. We're going to have it on Facebook posts, um, you know, all, all that all that good stuff. We've got a goal of about $10,000. Maybe that's a bit ambitious. I don't know. I guess we'll see. But if we can reach that, even if our current sponsor situation stays exactly the same and we don't bring on any new ones, and hopefully we will, the show will be funded well into summer of 2022. That'll give me a lot of breathing room to be able to find sponsors who support our mission without scrambling around to make sure that we are breaking even month to month. Uh, So, you know, we appreciate your time and your support, truly. It means a lot. The URL, again, is unionly. That's unionly.io slash o slash tvlr. We'll put that in the show description and in the chat and all that good stuff as well. Um... So, on a less serious note, uh, we are asking you, this is going to be for you, to call us, Alabama. We've got uh, our own phone number set up now. That is 844-899-TVLR. 844-899-TVLR. 844-899-8857. 
You can call or text the show now, anytime, at that number, and we may bring you on the air or read your text on the show. While we aren't on the air, you can call and leave a voicemail that we may play the next, uh, the next week. And I'm asking you to call today because we've got two tickets to see Lee Baines Third and the Glory Fires live at the Nick in Birmingham on Saturday evening, December 18th. How do you get the... How do you get the tickets? Well, you give us a call and answer this prompt. Why is it that conservatives in this state are completely silent on the coal miner strike? You call, you answer the question, and we'll place you in a raffle to win the tickets. And to make it fair to our listeners that don't watch us live, like in Muscle Shoals, you can get your name in the drawing by leaving us a voicemail with an answer to the prompt no later than Wednesday. We'll let you know if you won by Thursday or Friday, and we will announce the winner on the show. But you'll know before if you're the winner. We'll announce the winner on the show Saturday. We'll play any good voicemails that we get. Um, and so, yeah, call us at 844-899-TVLR, 844-899-8857, and tell us why you think that Alabama conservatives are completely silent on the coal miner strike, because it's it's really baffling, right? You've got rural Alabama coal miners, many of whom are conservative, that I have spoken to on the picket line in Trump hats. They're fighting against New York hedge fund-owned Warrior Met Coal. I thought we hated BlackRock, right? BlackRock owns Warrior Met. Don't we hate them? Aren't they too liberal? Why are conservatives afraid to speak out against them? These workers, these rural Alabama coal miners, have sacrificed for their company like good little worker bees, and the company has taken advantage of them and essentially stolen $1.1 billion from the small Alabama community over the last five years, and for what? to make New York elites richer, which, again, I thought we hated them. I thought we hated New York elites, coastal elites. And then you've got the freedom of speech element, the state, the government. We hate the government, right? The government has come in and for a good solid month completely taken away the right to speak freely and assemble and picket. And I thought conservatives today were all about freedom of speech. So, frankly, I'm at a loss because as far as talk radio is concerned, you don't hear it at all Unless we are on the radio. I bet y'all didn't even know that the government came in and completely banned picketing in Brookwood for a good solid month because we were on hiatus during that month. If we aren't on the radio, you don't hear about this. In print, all that Yellowhammer News does is reprint company press releases. I don't think there's a single quote from a working person, honestly, about any issue, but certainly about the strike, in the whole damn site, okay? So why are they so silent? We're taking your calls at 844-899-TVLR, 844-899-8857. Let us know what you think, and you'll be entered for a chance to win tickets to see Lee Baines. If you've been eating Kellogg's, you've got scabs in your cereal, okay? On October 5th, 2021, workers at Kellogg's walked off the job after their last contract expired. Uh, The strike affects... All cereal factories in the country, including a factory in Memphis. And the strike is over things that we've been seeing over and over and over lately. Uh, Lots of mandatory overtime. Not enough raises. They just last week rejected a contract offer after having been on the picket line for over a month. That takes a lot of courage. uh, Because being on strike is very difficult. 
and uh, BCTGM, which is the Bakery, Confectionery, Tobacco, and Grain Millers Union. They're a smaller union. They don't have a multi-million dollar, tens of millions of dollar strike fund like the UAW or the UMWA. So their strike checks are only... Their strike checks are only like $150 a week, if I remember correctly, compared to $400 a week for striking miners in Brookwood. The biggest reason for the rejection seems to be over what's known as two-tier employment. That might that may be a term that many of y'all are not familiar with. So, Adam, uh, can you talk to us about what two-tier employment is? Sure. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about Tier 2 because it's one of the most pressing issues, not just in you know the Kellogg worker strike, but uh, among the John Deere strikers recently. And it's, it's really broad across the economy and in, in various industries, including uh, education employees here in the state of Alabama who also have a two-tier retirement system. So when people talk about two tiers, usually they're re- referring to the retirement pension. It's not always the case. Uh, In some cases, you have two tiers in terms of wages, health insurance, other benefits. But essentially, the concept here is that employees before a certain date have a certain set of wages, benefits, uh, conditions, and employees hired after a specific date have something different, which is always going to be worse Uh, So, for example, in the state of Alabama, the two-tier retirement system, that started January 1st, 2013. So any teacher, custodian, counselor, any school employee hired after January 1st, 2013, you're on Tier 2 retirement. And what that means in terms of these educators is that if you're on Tier 1, you can earn full retirement at 25 years of service. So if you manage to... Get your foot in the door, fresh out of college, do a solid 25 years. You can retire at full retirement at a pretty young age. It also means uh, you're vested in the retirement system at 10 years. So if you you know work for a dozen years or so as a teacher or a counselor, decide to do something different in the private sector, you still have those years of service there. You still will be able to get a pension uh, at the age of 60. So for Tier 2 employees, one of the biggest differences is that you cannot collect your retirement until you're age 62, regardless of your years of service. So whether you just had, you know, your 10 years, you got vested, are you taught for 35 years, you still cannot collect your retirement until you're age 62. That's a, that's a major uh, decline in benefits. And, uh, you know, one of the other major decline in benefits was that sick leave was not able to convert to retirement credit. So for Tier 1 members, those folks, you know, if they were lucky enough to be pretty healthy throughout their career, uh, certainly uh, beneficial to men especially who maybe didn't take maternity leave. So those folks could bank a lot of sick leave days, and when they got ready to retire, they could trade that in for months of credit. That means, you know, a lifetime increase to their pension. That benefit was taken away from Tier 2. You know, they were given a use-it-or-lose-it sick leave, no incentive to save their leave, uh, and certainly no reward for having any leave when they get ready to retire. Now, that that particular piece was actually uh, changed and addressed just now 
in the 2021 legislative session. So, you know, eight, nine years after it went into effect. Uh, but the concept is the same, whether it's public sector workers or private sector workers. We've seen this in company after company. And it, it's something that uh, can appeal to unions uh, and, and rank and file workers at times because the boss can come to you and say, listen, I can do I can maintain your retirement for you. But the folks that come after you, not so much. We can't afford to do that. So essentially, you're being asked to sell out employees who do not exist yet. You're being asked to sell out fellow workers who you haven't met yet who will come after you. And uh, there was a great article in Labor Notes recently. I think it was Alexandra Bradbury who put this out about two-tier. And uh, she really made the point about you are selling out the unborn. And if you're interested in the next generation of union activists, you can't sell out those folks. So it's a way to divide and conquer the workplace. You can see why it would be such an issue if you and your fellow workers are doing the exact same job, but for different types of pay, different types of benefits. Um, you know, it's just it's, it's a major issue across the, the industry. And it's something that I've been proud to see a, a big fight back against it. Right. Yeah. In Kellogg's specifically, the lower tier, they call them transitional employees. That was instituted in the last contract in 2015. They make less money. They have no pension. They pay for their own health care. All this for the same job. And despite having been promised a pathway to legacy status, which is what they call the upper tier, Nearly all transitional employees since 2015 remain transitional to this day. The pathway has not actually been executed for transitional employees. So before the most recent contract offer from Kellogg's, they threatened to permanently replace the striking workers, and this was done to scare them into accepting the subpar offer. And now that they have rejected the offer, Kellogg's has begun making moves to permanently replace the striking workers. Uh, very quickly after this announcement, there was widespread condemnation, including from the President of the United States. Wow. So this is part of his statement. He says, Joe Biden... Collective bargaining is an essential tool to protect the rights of workers that should be free from threats and intimidation from employers. That's why I am deeply troubled by reports of Kellogg's plans to permanently replace striking workers from the bakery, confectionery, tobacco workers, and grain millers international during their ongoing collective bargaining negotiations. Permanently replacing striking workers is an existential attack on the union and its members' jobs and livelihoods. I have long opposed permanent, permanent striker replacements, and I strongly support legislation that would ban that practice. And such action undermines the critical role collective bargaining plays in providing a workers, uh, workers a voice and the opportunity to improve their lives while contributing fully to their employer's success. Unions built the middle class of this country. My unyielding support for unions includes support for collective bargaining, and I will aggressively defend both. Now, that's probably the strongest defense of union workers from the White House since, I mean, President Bill Clinton. When he condemned Caterpillar's move to hire permanent replacements in the 1994 strike, 
so much for hope and change from Obama, right? Um, <laughs> but that's really good. That's a, that is a good statement, and that's it's good that uh, that people in the White House are actually watching this because this is a very um, this is a very big strike. It's very important that these workers win, and it's very important that. Uh, you know that people support them. Uh, you know, don't be buying Kellogg's right now is one thing that you can do to help these strikers. Um, yeah, absolutely, and I think I agree with you. That's a that's a good statement from the president. I would like to see more, of course, from his administration. I think all of us in the labor movement would, but that's a start. That's yeah. that's better than you know the silence that we're getting for for so many labor issues. Right. While the support from the highest office in the land is certainly appreciated. It's possible that it won't be necessary. More Perfect Union reports that efforts to replace striking Kellogg's workers have been disastrous, according to workers on the ground. Scabs have wreaked havoc on the factory. Most cereals are not being produced. And a delivery train went off the track yesterday. Workers also told us that Kellogg's had to call in help from Ohio to put the train back on the tracks because no workers from Michigan would cross the picket line. That is fantastic. And as far as the scabs wreaking havoc in the factory, um, if that's on purpose, if the scabs are getting in there and purposely sabotaging, uh, cool as hell, keep doing that. Um, (laughs) But if it's just because the scabs are bad at their jobs, which is also very possible, as we've seen here in Warrior Met, where they have, like, the, the scabs at Warrior Met are serp- certainly not sabotaging for the union to help the union. They just suck at their jobs. I mean, they have made one of the rivers near the coals black multiple times with uh, debris from the mines. That doesn't happen when, <laughs> when, workers, when the union workers who know what they're doing are down in the mines. Additionally, Zoomers on Reddit and TikTok found the application portal for the scab jobs and sent in so many applications that they crashed the site. After their scab job site was crashed, Kellogg's moved to use temp agencies and those listings have been circulated on the same forums that crashed the Kellogg's scab job postings. So... This is really cool. This is working people standing up for working people. And that's how we are going to build a better society, build a more fair society um, and and make everybody's lives better. Uh, So if you will try to look for those links, see if we can't find those and put them in the chat. If you want to apply for a scab job at Kellogg's and with no intention of (laughs) of going to work, we'll make sure that uh, we'll try to make sure that we can uh, that we help you facilitate your sabotage of the boss. Uh, So we certainly we uh, we honor their service (laughs) in in the class war. It's very good. Very good stuff. Yeah, it's nice to see. Young folks on on the internet doing something positive. Yeah, yeah. How <laughs> often do you see uh, something good come out of the internet? Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll take it. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, we are coming up on the top of the hour break. So uh, we'll be right back here shortly. Before we go, I will plug the fundraiser one more time. The URL is unionly.io slash o slash tvlr unionly.io slash o slash tvlr 
We're trying to raise money so that we can uh, sustain the show through the summer and uh, so that I have some more time to get get sponsors um, and that I'm not having to run around like a chicken without its head, uh, making sure that we're breaking even month to month. So we will be right back. You're listening to The Valley Labor Report with Jacob Morrison and Adam Keller. Stay tuned. The Valley Labor Report. Work sucks, we know, but you can make it better by organizing with your fellow workers. For more information, call or text the Huntsville Industrial Workers of the World at 256-651-6707. The attorneys of Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs are proud to represent working people in Alabama and across the Southeast. They have over 100 years of experience representing injured workers in workers' compensation, personal injury, and disability claims. Let their attorneys help you when you get injured on the job. You can find them at www.mtandj.com or 855-617-9333. Let Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs help you when you get injured on the job. Again, the website is www.mtandj.com or the phone number 855-617-9333. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services from other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at ibew136.org. The Valley Labor Report. Welcome back. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller. We are taking calls, 844-899-TVLR, if you would like to call the show, if you would like to be entered for a chance to win Lee Baines tickets. Lee Baines Third and the Glory Fires is, um, he is playing at the Nick in Birmingham on Saturday, December 18th. If you would like to be entered for a chance to win those tickets, you can call the show, 844-899-8857, and let us know why you think that conservatives have been so silent on the coal miner strike in Brookwood. Um, and, and you know, frankly, why uh, the Democrats have been... <laughs> have uh, have not been as gung-ho about it as they could have there have been some uh there has the only people that have supported these strikers at all have been you know people on the left or uh democrats um there was one article in the federalist by a fellow under the pseudonym <laughs> joe popularis uh so you know that's a very serious character and the federalist is a very serious uh website they're the only conservative people that have that have advocated for these coal miners in Brookwood that I can tell. So why is it that why is it that that uh, that there is so little support for these folks from all segments of society in Alabama? Why is it that you know people have time to defend Chris Cuomo for helping his brother get away with being a sex pest on Alabama talk radio, but they don't have the Uh, They don't have the time to support coal miners in their own state. 844-899-8857. Adam is going to be keeping keeping tabs on our queue. He'll let me know if we get any callers. Um, So we're going to go to the next story 
that we're um, or well, we're gonna go into my favorite segment of the show, or one of my favorite segments. Uh, last week in Southern Labor. Last week in Southern Labor is the segment where every week we talk about what happened last week in Southern Labor in the South among working people. Jonah Furman releases a newsletter every week called Who Gets the Bird on Substack, and that is a list of basically everything that happens in the labor movement across the United States. So we go through that list with his permission, with his cooperation, and take out the things that happened in the South and give it to you, the listener. So we're going to start off with some internal union politics. This is a huge story that is going to affect tens of thousands of workers in the South and hundreds of thousands across the country for labor notes. Jonah Furman reported on the once-in-a-generation breakthrough in the United Auto Workers Union where members overwhelmingly voted to implement the right to elect top officers via a direct election system. One member, one vote. This is the end of a decades-long road to win this fight, which members have fought since at least the early 1980s, and the beginning of a new one, namely a United Auto Workers Union with meaningfully competitive elections for the top slots which control all the meaningful national bargaining, namely the big three automakers whose contracts are all up in 2023, just six weeks after the massive UPS Teamsters contract. So that's going to be an interesting one. In legislation, Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards is shooting for the state's teacher salaries to heat to hit the regional average by 2024. That's very ambitious, which would be something like a $3,600 raise. Wow. Louisiana teachers are getting screwed, um, <laughs> as are teachers across the country, if we're being honest. In new organizing... We have 25 fast food workers at Tudor's Biscuits in Elkview, West Virginia. They are unionizing with UFCW Local 400 after having marched on their bosses. 32 DHS security guards in D.C. voted 7-0 to to join the SPFPA. 18 workers at MDS Boring and Drilling in Houston voted 0-13 to 13 to decertify their union, the Operating Engineers Local 450. 85 workers for first student in Memphis voted overwhelmingly 37-3 to 3 to join Teamsters Local 667. 50 workers at Intermodal Mexico in Jacksonville, Florida voted 37-3 to 3 to join Teamsters Local 512. And 41 workers who make paint polymers for Estron Chemical in Calvert City, Kentucky, voted 28-13 to 13 to join the Machinists Union. And finally, 14 heavy equipment operators at Fort Bliss, Texas, voted 9-0 to zero to join the Operating Engineers Local 351. Real quick, I just wanted to say, I think that's great news out of West Virginia. Those yes. of us in the South, we love our biscuits, don't we? And uh, it'd be Absolutely. great to be able to uh, shop and buy biscuits from a union uh, restaurant. So, way to go, guys. Yes, absolutely. Way to go. In strikes and bargaining, we've got lots happening on the BCTGM Kellogg strike over the past two weeks. As I mentioned, first, the, the company announced that they would hire permanent replacements, and probably thinking that this would strike fear into the workers' hearts, they soon thereafter offered a new tentative agreement. And the workers overwhelmingly rejected that offer. 
Kellogg's has doubled down on its commitment to hire permanent replacements since then. The Tuscaloosa County judge who hates free speech has, in his beneficence, granted the coal miners the ability to have two people on the picket line at one time. After more than a month of banning picketing outright with barely a word from the media. The Cabell Hospital strike in Huntington, West Virginia has ended with members of 1199 SEIU, West Virginia, Kentucky, Ohio ratifying a contract. After weeks on strike, the 450 workers with Steelworkers Local 40, also in Huntington, do not have a contract. And Special Metals, who owns the nickel alloy plant being struck, are not in a rush to get back to the table, setting the next negotiation session for December the 14th. So those people have been on strike for several weeks, and it looks like it's going to last for a while longer. 10,000 other workers are staring down a potential strike at Newport News, Virginia, Huntington Ingalls Shipyard. After members of the Steelworkers' biggest local, USW Local 8888, voted down a contract 2-1. to one. Now the local is telling members to prepare to be on the picket line in 2022, which would be the first strike at the shipyard since 1999. At the other big Ingalls shipyards in Pascagoula, Mississippi, Members of the Metal Trades Council, which includes United Association members and the Boilermakers, as well as a few others, apparently rejected a contract and then had to re-vote on it and then accepted it. But the IBEW members in Mississippi voted it down again. Around 100 IBEW Local 666 maintenance workers at a DuPont plant in Chesterfield County, Virginia, that make Tyvek and Kevlar and other materials have been locked out by management. As negotiations stall, nearly 1,000 UFCW Local 1995 poultry processing workers at Wayne Farms in Albertville, Alabama, voted to reject a contract offer after having walked off the job to protest the weak raises on offer along with forced overtime. Major League Baseball has officially locked out the MLB Players Association as of this week. They removed all active player-related content from their website, making for an eerie baseball without baseball players ghost town vibe. After much back and forth, including a contract that was overwhelmingly rejected by membership, the Louisiana, Fe- uh, the Louisville, the Louisville Federation of Police has a new union contract that includes bigger raises and no new reforms. Uh, so you know, look, folks, that is uh, that. That's the you know, unions are human institutions, and as uh, human institutions, they have flaws. And boy, are police unions flawed! Holy crap! Uh, and that's because I mean they're made up of police, so you know. I think it's worth mentioning <laughs> that it's certainly a controversial thing inside the labor movement as to whether or not police unions really count, for that matter, as right. labor unions, because. The job of a police officer is obviously very different than the job of, you know, a poultry worker, a factory worker, a teacher, a nurse. Uh, You know, it's a different form of selling your labor, obviously. And, of course, as a police officer, you have something that the vast majority of workers don't have, which is the authority, uh, both legal and sometimes illegal, to hurt people. 
Yeah, to kill people uh, and get away with it. I mean, look right. at what the cops in Alabama are doing with the miners' strike. They are, um, they're literally, we're using state tax dollars to, um, to escort, like it's a damn emergency, scabs uh, through the picket line to the mines. I mean, and, and the, like, people, striking miners have gotten tickets in Brookwood for being in front of a scab escort and going the speed limit. These scabs are being escorted like zipping through places at unsafe speeds, certainly over the speed limit, and people who are being responsible and going the speed limit are being given tickets for going the speed limit because they're in front of a scab escort. That's your tax dollars at work, folks. And that's what the police do. I mean that's what the uh, that's what the police do. You know, if 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 their police if the police unions down in Brook, Brookwood in Tuscaloosa if they had any solidarity, if they had any concept of themselves as workers, they would not be doing that. They would be refusing the orders and they would be supporting the coal miners. But they see their, you know, they see their their allegiance does not li- lie with other working people by and large. So yeah, and real quick, I wanted to back up on on your last week in Southern Labor Report. Uh, how awesome is Local Six Six Six? I feel like you know, just just with the local name alone, management must uh, you know quiver a little bit when they walk to the table. So, yeah. uh, shout out to those folks out in Virginia, and uh, it, it was good to see uh, some action happening here in North Alabama over at Albertville. And, uh, you know, I think I mentioned this to you last week. We definitely are seeing labor activity in the sports world uh, with the baseball players. And, uh, you know, something I've brought up before that's just so true is that growing up, I I think the only times I ever heard about unions on the news was on ESPN Mm -hmm. uh, in reference to, you know, Major League Baseball, NFL, NHL, those folks. So. Uh, even though they are highly compensated at the top levels, I think it's worth remembering the distinction between the athletes and the owners. Right. And, and in these, these scenarios, they are workers. Right. Uh, they are selling their labor uh, at, at a high cost to their body and for a short, very short career span. And uh, in baseball in particular, we've seen a lot of issues with the minor league baseball players. Uh, right. You know, here... In Alabama, of course, we have the Birmingham Barons. We have the Rocket City Trash Pandas. Uh, they're big tourist attractions, big you know local venues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but many of these athletes are being you know poorly paid, uh, living in pretty crappy conditions, uh, just for the hope that one day they can make it big. Right. You know, if they're lucky, maybe they will. Uh, but statistically, clearly, they're not all going to go out and make. Uh, Bryce Harper kind of money, right? Uh, Freddie Freeman kind of money. They're not all going to go down that road. And so, uh, shout out to the athletes for uh, for organizing and, and best of luck with their efforts uh, dealing with this lockout. Hopefully, they get a fair contract. Yeah, absolutely. Solidarity with Major League Baseball players and uh, IBEW Local 666. Uh, we've got a listener out of that local, and he sent me a few stickers a while back. I, uh, If people have um, 
have seen me in person with my laptop they may have seen uh they may have seen it they they really uh lean in i don't know like who na- like, i mean the local's been around for ages uh i looked into its history a while back because i saw it and they sent me uh the, the fella sent me some stickers with like a little devil on it and stuff it's really cool um so yeah very cool ibw local 666 <laughs> Uh, we're still taking calls at 844-899-TVLR. That's 844-899-8857. Adam is keeping a look on the uh, call screen, uh, and he will let me know if we get any callers. Um, Starbucks workers in Buffalo, New York, have formed the first ever federally recognized union at a Starbucks-owned store. Wow, that is awesome. Now, uh, it's not exactly the first Starbucks union, as some have reported and as I have actually been guilty of saying. There are several Starbucks locations that are owned by franchisees in the U.S. that are unionized, such as airports, etc. There was also the IWW's own organizing campaign at Starbucks, which, while it did not seek a federal election through the NLRB, They did see the same union-busting techniques from Starbucks, and they saw many gains for workers at Starbucks, including raises, paid holidays, and increased protection from sexual harassment, among other things. Now, none of this is obviously to undermine the historic nature of their achievement, uh, and none of the people involved in previous efforts would try to make that case. Um, Daniel Gross, a former barista and a key figure in the IWW campaign, said as much on Twitter that this campaign is historic. It should be lauded and supported however we can. Um, And he's absolutely right there. It is just, I mean, really, really great stuff. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what they uh what they do because that uh i mean that's just such a huge huge deal um to be able to break into the to be able to break in to the uh the fast food and like service sector where union membership has been so almost non-existent right um I mean, these workers are so exploited and so taken advantage of, and the people at the top are making so much more money than they are. You know, some of the things that Starbucks was saying during the union-busting campaign was that, you know, oh, we're partners. Oh, we don't need a union here, right? Because we already take such good care of you. And some of the people involved in the campaign, there were some of that that they didn't actually even dispute. They were like, yeah, I mean, broadly, broadly speaking... It's not the worst job that I could have in the service sector. You know, there are certainly some things that I like. But here's what they said, and this is what I say all the time to people that are um, that are interested in organizing and they feel like they've got a good job. These people at Starbucks said, yeah, there are things that I like, and I want to lock those things in. Now, what? Like, why, why are they saying that? Because everything in your job that you like is totally at the whim of the boss. They have no commitment to keep those things. There's nothing making them keep the things that you like. If you like having vacation days that you have, the boss could take them away tomorrow. You don't have everything in your contract that you sign as an individual to work for a company. It's all at the discretion of the boss. There's nothing keeping them there, uh, making them honor these commitments they made to you. 
And so what these workers at Starbucks said is that, okay, look, there are some things that I like and some things that I don't like. So the things that I like, I want to get it in writing. I want to get it in black and white. I want Starbucks to commit to this and commit to a process that says, um, that says, yeah, this is what we are offering workers and we're not going to take it away. Un- you know, this is a contract, a binding contract that we agree to. They want to get those things that they like in writing and there are some things that they want to, uh, that they want to fix, that they want to make better. And that's why they're going to go to uh, bargaining. One of the things, obviously, if you've ever worked in the service sector, is uh, having consistent scheduling. I know that when I worked in uh, when I worked in a restaurant, you know, you were always, uh, you, you know, if, if you got a week schedule, you you were doing pretty good. If you knew what you were begin, uh, going to be working for the next week. And a lot of times, for me, that week schedule didn't come out until uh, the evening before. You know, <laughs> so so that's one of the things that they're going to be uh, that they're going to be fighting for. So, um, so I'm really, really excited to uh, really excited to see what they do. Um, they won outright one of the one of the um, of the three locations that voted. They won outright one. They lost another. And then a third, they are leading, but there are challenged ballots. And so um, the the result isn't outright yet, but the union feels pretty good that after the challenged ballots are counted or, or, or gone through, that they're still going to win the day. So two out of the two out of three of those Starbucks uh, locations that voted are going to be union, it looks like. And so here is what you can do to help those folks if you are so inclined, especially if you work at a Starbucks yourself. If you work at a Starbucks yourself, you need to contact Workers United, okay? Workers United is the uh, is the union that represents these workers now at two of those three Starbucks locations in Buffalo, and they have, uh, they have a southern region, that you can contact. You can Google them, uh, Workers United. They're an SEIU affiliate. You can look up their southern region and figure out how to contact them. Get in touch with them if you want to form a Starbucks union where you're at. And if you are in the area, we will help you. We would love to talk to Starbucks workers in Huntsville that are trying to organize a union. And uh, so reach out to us on social media. Our DMs are open on Twitter. Um, uh, you can message us on Facebook. You can send us an email, all that. There's lots of ways to get in touch with us. Or you could call the show or you could text the show at 844-899-TVLR. And Adam tells me that we have a caller. You're on the air. What's your Jacob. name? Where are you calling from? It's Joe and Kate or Jacob. Joe, it is nice to hear from you. Joe, how are you doing? Well, uh, I could be a lot better, but hey, man, I'm making it. I'm still hanging in there. Uh, so I can still get up on Saturday morning and listen to that show right now. So uh, <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Good. Jake, I want to touch base. I want to touch base really quick on the, on the, on the why our politicians ain't doing nothing. Uh, of course, just my opinion. But uh, most of it, like Miss Kay Ivey and some of them, it's just it's just keeping up their public image. Uh, you know, they want to get on there at ribbon cuttings and and smile and shake hands and uh, talk about the 
150 potential jobs that may be coming uh, into the area, and you know that's that's a big thing for them. And they proud proud that we're getting more jobs, but uh, most of their most of their constituents in Alabama would rather hear about getting a job as fighting for a job. Uh, mm. Now, let me just tell you really quick, and I'll get off this subject, because i got something else if I, if I had a chance. Uh, sure. I have contacted, I have contacted uh, Richard Shelby's office, Tommy Tuberville's office. Richard Shelby's office never called me back. Uh, Tuberville's office never called me back. I have called uh, Gerald Allen, who's a senator down in the Tuscaloosa area. His office called me back and just acknowledged that I left them a message. Uh, mm-hmm. And I probably left them too long with a message and about what I wanted, so they didn't, uh, they didn't, they didn't really respond. Uh, uh, Kyle South, who's a state rep in Tuscaloosa area, I've called him half a dozen times, and they won't respond at all. I've called all of my local state reps that I could get a hold of and took some digging to get their personal numbers, uh, but I got Miss Terry Collins from Decatur. She called me back and spent 10, 15 minutes over the phone. Uh, knew absolutely nothing about the strike. Didn't even know that anybody was on strike. Now, granted, this is three months ago. Uh, wouldn't commit to nothing other than she had tried to find out what was going on. Mr. Arthur Ash out of the Decatur area. Uh, Hello? Uh, you guys there? back. I explained to him what was going on. Originally, he wasn't even aware that there was a strike going on down there. He told me I'll try to get some information, get back with you. He did. He did. And uh, we probably talked 15 or 20 minutes. You know, I explained to him. I explained to him how we was milking the budget for the state troopers down there to run their scabs in and out and the resources being wasted. Uh and, and and basically, not that he agreed with everything I said, but he didn't disagree with anything I said. Then uh, uh, he actually called me back again in a day or two. He just wanted to let me know that uh, he had contacted some people, and some people was getting really tired of it down there. Now, this, this is other state legislators. Was getting really tired of it, and he said, Joe, be patient. I think you'll be hearing something, in, you know, really quick. Of course, three months ago, and I ain't heard nothing, but the strike's still going on. Uh, but but we got what we got to do, and I, it, it don't take that long. But if hundreds and hundreds of union members would fill their voicemails up and they're calling their office and so forth and putting a little pressure on them, they're not getting any pressure from us to... Right. Uh, to, to get out in public and even take a stand one way or the other. Hey, if they want to get out there and say, hey, we're all about uh, uh, busting unions and so forth, which you know they ain't going to do, but if they mm-hmm. did, at least they'd be making a comment. Uh, that's all I got on that one. Uh, right, well, uh, Joe, I have actually, um, I've called a few people, and there were multiple offices that uh, that told me that they will not comment on um, internal negotiations between, you know, private employers and stuff like that. And I was like, that doesn't make 
any sense. Like, of course you comment on things that happen in the private sector. Like, what a load of BS. I mean, <laughs> like, I, I know, like, y'all have a Twitter feed. You comment on anything and everything because you're a politician. You you give your opinion on all this stuff, but you refuse to give your opinion on, um, you know, when working people in your state are fighting against this New York coastal elite hedge fund. I mean, it, it's really, it is really sad, certainly. Uh, but yeah, I agree, Joe. Um, we should be, and I should be, I'm bad about this. I, I should be calling people more. We should be calling people more. Uh, make them know you know, make the politicians know that there are folks out here watching what's going on in Brookwood and that we support these coal miners and that um, that hopefully, ideally, there would be an electoral price to pay for people that do not support these coal miners um, right. because... And, and, uh, and, and they, will be, they will be amongst our membership, but we just don't have the, we don't have the density to, to really beat one of them out of their job right now. But uh, Jacob, I suggested, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm just no blue collar worker. But you know, we've got the FMCS. It's been around for decades, and they've, you know, they've stepped into several strikes, you know, and actually got them to come to the table and sit down and mediate a dang uh, resolve to the thing. And that, and that's why I was calling our Shelby's and our Tuberville's because they got more power in the federal end than than the state end. But right. uh, they're not going to do nothing till we do. But let me suggest this. You already do a whole lot, man. I know you spend a lot of time just just doing your homework, getting ready for this. Look, don't, don't, don't let us burn you out with adding more work to you. <laughs> you need to lay it. You, you need to lay it down to the people that, hey, you do what you can, and uh, I'll do what I can, and then, you know, Make it a joint effort because I can't do it all. Mm-hmm. And and believe me, Jacob, if you're willing to do it, they're willing to pile it on you. They're yeah. willing to, pile, and I'm talking about our members. They'll put it on you till till they till they can't put nothing else, else on you, and then try to put something else on you, and uh, <laughs> and you can't handle it. And, and they basically say, "Well, Jacob, we can't even do the job," you know. So you got to mm. watch that crap. Uh, Joe, but really quick. Joe, I just want to say real quick, I'm glad you brought that up because that is one of the things that we all have to remember is that there's only so much we can do by ourselves. And the name of the game is multiplication. That's the math we have to do is the multiplication and multiply our efforts and and make sure that, you know, we're not putting too much on just one or two people. That We're always adding folks to the team and, and sharing the work. So, yeah, I appreciate you bringing that point up. and And like you said, we do have to maintain pressure and increase the pressure on these uh, state legislators and the congressmen, too, because, uh, you know, you're right. Senator Shelby, Senator Tuberville, uh, the congressmen in the area, they absolutely do have influence and they use that influence all the time in private industry. And they love to, you know, like you said, they love to go be seen with Toyota and Mazda and, and Mercedes and do the ribbon cutting ceremonies. Well, how about they pick up the phone and call Warrior Matt Cole and speak on behalf exactly. of the 1,100 folks that live right here in our state, you know, our neighbors who deserve a fair contract? Exactly. Well, it's kind of, you know, I, I, I got to the point of calling Tuberville's office and leaving so many messages. You know, basically all I could do then was just shame him for, for, for his... his 
support of our former president and our so-called former president's great support for the for the coal miners, which never developed, which he never had right. none anyway. But but at the same time, at the same time, you know, they milked that for all it was worth, you know. And now they don't even give a rat's any about 1100 that ain't got a job that could have a job. Uh, but uh, enough of that one. I want to just mention a couple other things right quick, if I can. Sure, go ahead. Uh, uh, the little interview with... Uh, this Yaffe guy last week. Uh, I didn't. I didn't listen to his radio show any at all last week. Didn't feel like it. So I don't know if he had a response uh, any time during the week to to the things you mentioned to him. Uh, uh, but you know, if Yaffe's listening this morning, he ought to be totally embarrassed uh, for getting on the radio show with hundreds or thousands of listeners and just flat out just flat out not knowing what he's talking about it's it's one thing to be in a in a bar sitting at a table talking to people and you don't know what you're talking about but it's a whole lot different when you supposedly have these followers and they're sitting there bobbing their heads everything you say and you giving them disinformation that's that is a that's plum shame in my book uh and he, and he ought to get on his radio show and apologize for it. Matter of fact, he ought to get on his radio show and explain the difference between uh, 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 the right to work law and the employee at will law. He ought to get on there and do it for us. But enough of that, enough of that. Really quick, last week, uh, on the uh, ULA guys out there who's protesting the vaccine mandates, mm-hmm. uh Ninety-seven percent of those guys over there are vaccinated, right? And and I think that's a good. I think that's a good thing. I but, mean, that's uh, huge. Yeah. Yes, yes. But but for a group of individuals, you know, if 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 them's card carrying, if them's card carrying uh, machinists uh, pulling this off out there, you know, they they didn't agree to be uh, machinists, uh, uh, ULA workers. Uh, and some other kind of group that's going to represent another group on the inside. I mean, it's a three-party agreement, the workers, the international, and the company. And Mm -hmm. then they've come up with this additional thing. But uh, to take that to court was so premature. Right. And and why the court even heard it is absolutely beyond me. I mean, the whole system of arbitration was set up to keep to keep lawsuits, good ones or bad ones, out of the system where they could be handled in a in a way. Not that I agree with all the arbitration cases, cause no, I don't. But at the same time, at the same time, it's the system we got right now. And for these guys to jump ahead of the dang union uh, and and get their stuff heard in a in a in a court system, and and then weaken the union's position when it comes to the table because they're talking a loss with them from, mm-hmm. a, from, a, from a federal judge. 
it, right. you know, that's just not a good thing. That's not a good thing. So I don't agree with them guys. I yeah, no, you're you're exact. I mean, you're exactly right, Joe. And this is, you know, it, it's kind of like minutia of like how do you fight something from the company. But David talked about this in our interview, or or either it was in our interview with him, or when I was talking to him over the week, just me and him. You know, you never, ever, ever want to file suit like you said ahead of the union arbitration. Um, because it will weaken the union's position uh, in arbitration if you lose. And of course they were going to lose because their argument was, and, and like I said, I think the lawyer that they were using was some right-wing nut job, like with Roy Moore's Foundation for Moral Law or something, and, the, and their argument was on like religious freedom or some nonsense. You know, Obviously they were going to lose. There's no basis for um, uh, under you know just general law that your employer can't... Um, can't mandate you be vaccinated there's just no there's no substance there the substance is in the contract that ULA signed that said there there was a there was a process for reasonable accommodations for medical and religious exemptions that was the contract and as far as i could tell the attorney that these people went out and hired outside of the union um di- didn't make that case at all like i don't even know if the federal judge knew that these people were worked in a union honestly i mean it's it's it, it, it's it's really it is really sad, and it's not even like it would be one thing if this was a union that was like, oh, yeah, no, we're not fighting the vaccine mandate at all, and we, we think all of y'all should be, you know, all, you, you, you person with leukemia who's been placed on uh, unpaid administrative leave before Thanksgiving, um, who has already had COVID, who tested positive for antibodies, who your doctor said you should not get the vaccine at this point because of your medical condition. It would be one thing if the union was like, no, we're not fighting for you. But that's not the case. The union is fighting for them. And in fact, at their last stewards council meeting, the union voted to take it to arbitration. I mean, this is a union that's fighting for its members. And and you're exactly right. Them going outside of that process before the process finished into a federal court that they were going to lose obviously they were going to lose and the only reason they didn't know they were going to lose is because like 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 i said they hired this right-wing nut job who doesn't know anything about the law or or about labor law that um so they're bringing with them a loss to arbitration that's going to make it much harder for the arbitrator to rule in favor of the workers even though it's clear even though like i've got the contract language there was a clear process for reasonable accommodations for medical and religious reasons um but but now it's going to be more likely that they lose arbitration and all of them lose their jobs. So, exactly, exactly. Well, normally, normally, you know, if the guys would have, would have thought they had a ULP case on fair labor practice, you know, they could have went they could have went to the to the into the system and and they do what you know they do what. Look, we got your case. We hear you. We got it filed. Uh, it's got merit. And what we mm-hmm. will do is. Uh, we'll call you as your case. Uh, right. we'll call you as your case, and when you when your arbitration gets heard, you know if they didn't rule within the law, uh, then we'll then we'll take a, a real look at it. You know, uh, but you know, you're not very successful when that happens, but sometimes you are. We've been successful when they call you as cases, even to the point where we lost an arbitration and the board overturned it. You know, mm-hmm. uh. So, so, but you know, I, I don't beat them guys up out there either. No. I don't. I don't. I don't know how much of them just want attention, or mm-hmm. or 
you know, I don't, I don't really know where they're coming from, to be honest. So I ain't right. going to beat them up that bad. If one of them explained to me why he was doing what might make a difference, but I doubt it. Yeah. But, uh, no, you're that, exactly right, Joe. That. And David's in the chat in the YouTube right now, and he said not only are they bringing a federal loss to arbitration, but those folks spent $5,000 to lose. And they wouldn't have had to spend any money. They're not spending any money through the union's arbitration process, but they spent $5,000 to hire this nut job who handed them a loss. Well, really, 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 for five thousand dollars in, in a federal case, they got out light. But uh, right. when you got a lightweight doing your job, you, you're going to get lightweight <laughs> raised. Uh, so, so yeah, you sometimes know, you get what you pay for. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But listen, I ain't going to keep y'all on the phone no longer. There may be some other folks want to call in, and uh, I appreciate your time. And I appreciate what you do. Hey, thanks, Joe. Appreciate it, Adam. Do we have any other callers right now? Uh. None right this if second, uh, but... If, I, oh, no, go ahead. Yeah, we don't have any right now. Uh, I do want to say how much I appreciate uh, Joe calling in and dropping knowledge. Uh, we always appreciate that. Uh, love to have, especially our more seasoned, experienced folks call in and share some things, and I think that was a good point as well. And something I experienced in, in my uh, time as a union staffer as well is, you know, sometimes you have members who want to kind of go rogue in and. Mm-hmm fighting their their case or um you know there's more to to solving issues in the workplace than going through process and going through uh the legalistic type of uh rules and hoops you have to jump through but sometimes that is what you have to do um and sometimes folks get tempted to do it their their own way or they think because their mama and them knows an attorney, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my brother-in-law's an attorney, I don't really need to go through the right, union, right. that kind of thing. And and I personally have never seen that go well. Uh, I've seen it go the, badly many times. And, you know. Right. I mean, it's not, it, it's the, the, the courts that these people are going to, I mean, they're the boss's courts. In the union negotiated arbitration agreement, arbitra- arbitration, I mean, that's, you're hiring a neutral third party to be the arbitrator that's agreed to by the union and the company. I mean, this is like the arbitration is your best bet. Only if you lose arbitration and you think you've got a shot, do you go to federal court or do you go to whatever other court? Because the other court is stacked against you. It's the boss's courts. Much likely to much more likely to lose there than you are in union arbitration. And that's why, you know, Everyone should join a union, and that's why if you're in a union, you shouldn't go outside of it <laughs> before, because you're, the union's your best shot. Yeah, I mean, it's again, like we've said before, you, uh, unions are human institutions made up of union uh, humans, and uh, we've never been shy about you know offering our critique of these institutions at times, or, or certainly some of the entrenched leaders of some of these institutions, but that's not the same as... You know, you didn't just wake up with right. a law degree uh, just because you've been in a bad situation. Right. That's not to say that, I mean, obviously, you know your situation better than anybody else because you're living it. But you also, you pay dues for a reason, and that's mm-hmm. to have these experts and to have the assistance and to put your situation in the broader context of everyone else. Because it's not just about you. It's about everyone that you're working with. Yep. That's exactly right, Adam. Joe, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Adam, let's go to another break, and we'll be back with one more segment. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. 
Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. The Valley Labor Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller. We are uh, we are on the last segment of the show today, and I wanted to correct, I uh, misspoke on the fundraising URL. It is unionly.io slash O, that's the letter O, slash Valley Labor Report. Unionly.io slash O slash Valley Labor Report. If you want to support the show, you can go there. We'll be making some posts on the tweeters here in a few minutes. Um, we've also, if you, we don't have any more time for calls, but if you want to be entered for a chance to win the ticket to the Lee Baines concert at the Nick in Birmingham, you can text the show. Even if we're not, even if we're not on the air, it's eight four four eight nine nine. Uh, TVLR, that's 844-899-8857, and we are giving the folks that listen to the show later, like in w, uh, like in Muscle Shoals and Tuscumbia, Alabama, in WZZA, we're going to give y'all a chance to win. So if you want to call and leave us a voicemail answering the question, why is it that the leaders in this state in politics and in the media, are completely silent on the coal miner strike. You will be entered for a chance to win Lee Bain's tickets. He is performing at the Nick live on Saturday, December 18th in Birmingham. You can call or text the show. You'll be entered to win. Uh, Adam, you had a couple plugs that you wanted to make before we wrapped up this week. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, Lee Baines. Uh, if you can check out his show on the 18th, definitely do that in Birmingham. Uh, but Lee was actually featured in the New Yorker recently. That's he had right. Some, he had some poetry published. Uh, so shout out to Lee for for that accomplishment. That's pretty cool to have one of her own uh, Southerners featured there in that that publication. And I'm sure he had some help from some of the uh, Union sisters that we've we've actually got a chance to speak with on the show. Um, Jacob, you were actually on a podcast recently, uh, Left Reckoning. I guess it's been about. 
two or three weeks now. But um, if you're not familiar with it, Left Reckoning, uh, you can check that podcast out on all your podcasting apps. And uh, Jacob gave some uh, updates on the Warrior Mind, uh, Warrior Met Strike, and, and of course the uh, uh, judges' interference there in the free speech and free assembly rights of those minors and their loved ones. Uh, it was a really interesting episode. They also had an expert from South Africa talk a little bit about post-apartheid era. So a uh, good mixture of Alabama news and some uh, international affairs. Our founding father, David Story, was recently featured in The Nation. Uh, so David uh, has not only been doing his uh, level best to deal with the situation out at ULA and doing a, a fantastic job trying to represent his members, uh, he actually got an article published recently in The Nation talking about uh, the military expenditures in this country and the need for workers to have opportunities to make a good living without working in the war machine. So great job, David. Uh, really glad to see that. Glad to, to see that you were published and that perspective is getting out there. Um yeah. Let's see. The only other things I wanted to make sure uh, I mentioned, of course, the UMWA Strike Fund. Uh, if you have not donated in a while or if you've never donated, certainly encourage you to chip in a buck or two to the Strike Fund for the coal miners down in Brookwood. Uh, the strike has been going on for so, so long, so every dollar you can contribute does help. Um, and also wanted to remind folks that we have a pretty extensive back catalog, so if you're just now checking out the show and you want to see what we've been up to uh, over the course of the past year or so, check us out on YouTube. Uh, you can find not just the full episodes, but you can find segments uh, that are clipped. So if there's a specific interview you're interested in. And, and we've talked with some really amazing guests over the course of this show's history. Uh, that includes organizers from the Bessemer Warehouse campaign. That includes, you know, editors and journalists from publications like In These Times and Labor Notes and Strike Wave and Jacobin Magazine, so uh, yep. uh, academics and experts in various fields. So it's there's a lot of material out there, so if you are just now kind of learning about us and, and want to discover more, check out the back catalog, find us on your favorite podcasting app, make sure you follow us, uh, make sure you like us on social media. Even if you can't contribute, those are ways that you can help, uh, you know, increase the visibility of the show and get get the word out to more people, because it is really important that folks have media that is by and for and of working class people. Uh, and on that note, uh, we had a recommendation earlier in the comments on YouTube for the recent yes. episode of Working People. I was just going to uh, mention that. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, our our dear friend and brother, Maximilian Alvarez, has the Working People podcast. It's a collaboration between Real News Network and In These Times Magazine. Uh, and he interviewed uh, an organizer from the Starbucks campaign in Buffalo, as well as a muckraking journalist uh, who's been covering that issue. So I really recommend you check it out if you want like more detail about the campaign and some of the uh, unsurprising but still nefarious union-busting tactics of the Starbucks Corporation. And uh, one last thing, uh, back to state-level news. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, Tier 2 retirement as it applies to Alabama. 
one other thing that we need to look at in terms of our Alabama perspective is all this federal money that has come in uh, as a result of pandemic stimulus bills. Uh, so uh, friends of the show, Alabama Arise has put out something called Six Principles for Allocating Alabama's American Rescue Plan Funding. So if you check out Alabama Rise, you can see they have this guide. Uh, it breaks down the types of funding that's been made available, as well as some recommendations for both citizens and lawmakers on how we can best use that funding for the common good. So definitely recommend you check that out. Uh, six principles from Alabama Arise. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. And the uh, I do also... I uh, want to mention that our hearts go out to the people in Kentucky. Uh, it looks like we're going to be having a hundred casualties potentially uh, by the time all the deaths are counted. So I'm going to be trying to see if we can talk to anybody uh, from that region on next week's show. Uh, but until then, this has been the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller, and we will see you next week. The Valley Labor Report with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. 